If you have a Bible, I'll be reading out of Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at chapter 7, verses 13 through 19. And uh, the message is entitled, The Way to Heaven. The Sermon on the Mount gives a contrast between the citizens of the kingdom and those who profess to be a citizen of the kingdom, but really are not. Jesus had just given some key things regarding the kingdom. Uh, he said that the citizens of the kingdom are to characterize and be characterized by character. People who know right and wrong, people who have ethics, uh, morals, people who live different than the way they used to live under their sinful pleasures in life. Our righteousness is to exceed that of the Pharisees, or we will never inherit the kingdom of God, he declared. Now remember, the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to his disciples, not to non-believers. It's to his disciples. The end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount tells you that. We're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he says everything else will be added unto us. Now, just looking at some of those things, as I look to the church today, the Christendom, to individualize and collectively as a corporate body at times, um, there's a subtle inconsistency in many people that call themselves Christians. The broad gate that we're going to see of hell is being confused for the narrow gate of heaven. The confined and compassed way that's compressed, that road that is of Christ leading to life, is being made a lot broader than the Bible says it is through alternative choices and behavior modification cultural relativity, whatever it may be. And the many on the road to destruction are being identified with the few on the road to life. So there's a confusing message that goes on within the Christian community today. And therefore, people are confused because they hear mixed messages from those who profess to be teachers of the Word of God or Christians. I want to look here at verses 13 through 29. Three important principles that Jesus gives to us here about the kingdom. And then by the time we get done, you're going to find out and you're going to know whether you have entered the kingdom or whether you haven't. Whether you're on the right road or you're not. You will be your own judge as the scriptures lays it out. Let's begin here by looking at the first of the three important principles. It's found for us in verses 13 and 14. It is simply this, the invitation to enter the kingdom. Listen to the two verses, 13 and 14. Then Jesus said to the centurion, I'm sorry, last chapter 8. Let's go to 13 of 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go into it by it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Notice there are two gates. The wide gate, there's no restriction placed on a person to enter this gate. Anybody can enter it. The gate is wide. 
There's plenty of room to walk and enter through it. There is no concern, no anxiety, no examination for self. You just walk in. The narrow gate, notice the contrast. There are restrictions placed on the person who enters this gate. The gate is narrow. There is room to enter in only by God's standards. Not man's, but God's. The old King James calls it the straight gate. There will be concern, responsibility, accountability, and self-examination to enter this gate. This gate, not just anyone can enter in. They can't go through it. Only certain ones who meet the criteria. Notice the two also have two roads they're lined up with. There is the ample room and space in this road, the Broadway. Nice and wide. There is even the sense of being secure due to its vastness. It's large. Have you ever been on something high and you're on a very narrow strip, you get nervous. But if you're up at the same height and there's a broad platform, you can stand and you're not nervous. You have a sense of security. So the Broadway gives you a false sense of security. This road is a Broadway. And I'm not talking about shopping either. It's lined up with the white gate. In contrast, the narrow way, this is a difficult one. Confined. There must be vigilance. Diligence. If you're going to travel on it. This narrow and difficult way is lined up with the narrow gate. So you want to make sure your road is lined up with the right gate. Notice there are two companies. The many who go in and enter the wide gate. These are traveling on the Broadway. The few who go in and enter on the narrow gate. These are traveling on the difficult and confined way. I've told people often, if you're bumping elbows on the way to heaven, you're on the wrong road. You're on the way to hell. The road to heaven is not crowded. Now, churches are crowded. Pastor conferences are crowded. Concerts are crowded. But the way to heaven is not crowded at all. Notice there are two destinies. The wide gate and Broadway leads to destruction. Mark that well. The narrow gate and confined way leads to life.
In the Old Testament, God told the people who he had delivered out of Egypt, out of bondage, the following. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 and 16. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. God placed everything before them. And then when they entered the land, they had to make some choices. Now, a lot of you are young. You have your whole life before you. The choices you will make will determine how you live your life. The most important decision you will ever make is the road you will walk on while making all those choices in life. The narrow or the broad way. It will determine whether you will make your decisions for God or apart from God. Whether you will agree with God or think that you are God. You will make those choices. You will not escape the consequences of your choices. Nobody does. So there are two decisions. Whether you enter in by the wide gate or whether you enter in by the narrow gate. But you cannot say that you are walking the broad way and enter in the narrow gate. <laughs> You're confusing the two. Joshua 24:15 says the following. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, meaning the Jordan River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua said. I made that choice 23 years ago. Some of my close friends chose not to make that decision. Looking back 39 years now, there's a big difference between my life and theirs. Not because I was better than them, but because I chose God's way. Made all the difference in the world for my life. You know, an old gold miner went to Colorado and struck gold. And um, as he kept drilling, ultimately the vein went dry. He kept trying to find it again. He couldn't do it. So he sold the uh, mine after losing most of his earnings, for pennies. This guy bought it and he came in and he hired an a geologist and um, he did some surveying and checking out and he told him if you just drill a few feet this way, you'll hit the vein again. And the guy hit a vein and he hit bigger than ever before. What a picture of so many people stopping short of the kingdom of God. Just feet. You see, when you go shooting, you aim for the bullseye. Everything else is roundabout. <laughs> when somebody asks you, how'd you do? And because you want to present yourself as 
being a good shot. I said, I almost hit the bullseye. It doesn't count. Whether you miss it by a hair or a mile, you didn't hit the bullseye. Kind of foolish to say, I almost got to heaven. Well, if you're not in heaven, you're in hell then. Hmm. No person is excluded from knowing the way. Jesus lays it out. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in should not perish but everlasting life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father by me in John 14, 6. So he gives it very simple, straightforward. No one's excluded. So whoever chooses the wrong way, it's not God's fault. It's their own. No person is forced by God to choose one or the other. He respects human will and choice. And yet so often people make the wrong choice, then they want to blame God. Why didn't God stop me? Well, if God stopped you, you say, that's not fair. So you can't have it both ways. Jesus said, I am the door. I am that good shepherd in John 10, 9. Revelation 3, 19, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open that door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. It's a decision based on a choice. No person can avoid the destiny of the way they choose, whether it's one or the other. You alone choose where you enter. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 8.18. Therefore, take heed how you hear. Did you hear that? Take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken away from him. So you have to think clearly on the things you're hearing and the choices you make based on what you're hearing. If it's a man's philosophies, you can not worry about it. But when you're listening to the word of God, now God holds you accountable for what you've heard and the choices you make thereafter. No person should confuse or be deceived about the proper relationship of the way and the road they are traveling and the gate that they're lined up with. Make sure you keep them clear. They're distinct. In fact, Luke 13, 22 through 24 says, And he went through the cities and the villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive. The word is agon. We get our word agonized from it. It's an athletic term. Agonize to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Why will they not be able? Because they will not make the right choice. They choose not to agree with God. You don't just stroll to the cross and you realize you're a sinner. You run to the cross and you cast yourself to the floor. Because you see yourself under the wrath of God for the very first time. And you see him as a savior, the only one that can save you and forgive you. And make you a child of God. The invitation to enter the kingdom is to all. The second principle he gives us in verses 15 through 23. The caution while on the way to the kingdom. 15 to 23, listen what he says. Beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes and thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good, bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and cast or thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers or practices of lawlessness. Notice in verses 15 through 20, there are those who sound and look like Christians, but are not. Whether they never accepted the Lord or whether they have walked away from God, to me they're the same doesn't make any difference. Notice they're not in the kingdom. They're not proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. They are out to deceive those walking towards the kingdom, those who hear the gospel of the kingdom. They are to be guarded against by the word, beware. They are disguised in sheep's clothing. They appear to look like sheep. They're in the midst of the sheep, not outside. Deceivers are in the church, not outside the church, often. The greater danger is from within. They, in reality, are ravenous wolves, he says there. They are motivated by self-interest, self-gain, self-exaltation. They have one goal, to use and destroy the sheep. This is very clear through the Gospels. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. Notice they're known by their fruits in verse 16 and 18 and in 20. In 16, their methods are not lined up with the kingdom, illustrated by the graves and thorn bushes and the figs from the thistles. If you're around them long enough, you will see they are not consistent with the biblical standard and the principles. How they live, what they say, how they conduct themselves. In 17, the application is in the relation of a good tree bearing good fruit and the bad tree, bad fruit. It's real clear. The explanation is given in 18. It's declared by the nature of the tree, the fact that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Dogs have dogs. They don't have horses. Cats have cats. They don't have dogs. It's real simple. The destiny of the false prophets, the ravenous wolves here, the bad tree, is to fall under fiery judgment of God. They're thrown into the fire. Verse 19. They deceive people, but they don't deceive God. 
Look at 20. They're conclusively known by their fruits. Their teaching is not always wrong, even as the Pharisees who taught the law. Listen to the words of Jesus on that. Matthew 23, 3. Jesus said regarding the religious rulers, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, he's telling his disciples, that observe and do. But do not do according to their work, for they say and they do not do. Even false prophets and teachers or people who are not Christians can give you biblical truth. You examine it. But they don't live it. So you can receive biblical truth as your examination, but you don't follow the way they live. When you see their lives don't line up with what they're teaching about biblical truth, something's definitely wrong. It's called duplicity. Sometimes people have a head injury and they get double vision. (laughs) They see the same thing twice. As their vision corrects, then it lines up as one again. These people live one thing and say another. Notice verse 21 through 23. There are many who say they are Christians or appear to be Christians who will never enter the kingdom of God. Mere profession will not get you into the kingdom, but only doing the will of the Father. Verse 21. By the way, the will of the Father is found in the word of God. Not in your emotions, not in your feelings, not in signs and wonders and miracles, but in the word of God. God's not the author of confusion. They use the name of the Lord, notice in verse 21. They're not doing the will of the Father in heaven, but they use the name of the Lord. In 22, many will use the name of Christ even to manifest supernatural miracles, but not enter. Because Satan can duplicate things. Because you see a miracle doesn't mean it's from God. In fact, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus said, we know you're from God because no man can do these things unless God be with him. You get an F in Bible, Nicodemus. Because the Antichrist is going to do miracles. So is the false prophet. Bring fire from heaven. And they're directly from Satan. So Nicodemus gets an F in Bible. They will stand in the day of judgment and attempt to defend themselves. Many will say to me in that day, that day of judgment. They will point to all the things they have done as instruments for God. They prophesied in his name. They cast out demons in his name. They did many wonders in his name. But that wasn't God. So you need to examine everything by the word of God. In 23, notice many will hear the words of Jesus in divine judgment then. Jesus will say, I never knew you. Their words and deeds did not deceive Jesus. It never does. The supernatural gifts were used by God's sovereignty. 
for the love of the people. And he honors his word. Sometimes you hear um, false teachers with massive people in an auditorium. 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 25,000, 50,000. And though this man is a false teacher or a false prophet or a false whatever it may be, some people will believe the word of God that he made to proclaim. And God will save the person through that false prophet because God honors his word above his name. You understand? God will deal with that man afterwards, either here or there. He does not honor the man. He honors his word above his name. God saves. Man does not save. Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's a clear divide here on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, when a soldier is walking through a minefield, he pays close attention to how he walks. He knows that if he's going to make it through this minefield, he has to remember everything he's been taught in his training and make no mistake. But because he's been trained, he can make it through the minefield. But if he's distracted or becomes careless, he'll never get through it. The warning against false prophets and teachers runs throughout the Old and the New Testament. Deuteronomy 13, Jeremiah 23, 28. Paul the Apostle warned the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 that even some of them who were the elders there at Ephesus were going to rise up to draw disciples to themselves teaching false things from outside the church and from within the church. Their destiny is the lake of fire. Jesus has been saying this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 3, 10 through 12, he speaks about it. Prior to this, he says this through the Sermon on the Mount. False prophets and Antichrist, uh, as you know, will end up in the lake of fire. Revelation 14.10. For deceiving so many. Now the scriptures tell us to examine our lives always. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 13.5 and 6 says to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith lest we be disqualified. I presume you've seen the Olympics once in a while. People invest four years. They deny themselves. They discipline themselves. They work hard. And then they show up to the Olympic trials or the competition. And because they break some rule, they're disqualified and throw it all away. The Bible throughout the New Testament uses many athletic terms and games. And he puts it side by side by the Christian race, and life. Paul's advice is that we be good Bereans, Acts 17, 11, to examine and to find out if those things are so. And so the caution while on the way to the kingdom is real, not fictitious. You've got to be alert. You've got to stay on that narrow way. 
Keep your eye on that narrow gate. Notice thirdly there in verse 24 through 29. The examination whether you have entered the kingdom now comes. In 24 and 29 says, Therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will like him, him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them, they will be like the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these things that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In 24 and 25, you have the wise man. Don't miss him. In 24, he hears and obeys the words of Jesus. You have heard the two roads, the two gates. Now the question is, are you going to be a wise person who hears and obeys the words of Jesus? He's like the one who builds his house on the rock. The imagery is vivid and clear, solid and stable. It's not talking about those who are saved at this point. It's talking about about those who obey the word. And as they're saved, they continue to obey the word. Your house has to be on that rock continue. The, the storms don't come just once in a lifetime. They're continuous. In 25, he will be tested throughout life by the storms of life. The tests are certain. Their house stands to the storms of life. Their obedience is the foundation for the coming storms. Then you have the foolish man in 26 and 27. In 26, he hears but doesn't obey the words of Jesus. So the foundation here is obedience. Okay? Ongoing obedience as you're on this road. As you keep your eyes on that narrow gate. He's like the one who builds his house on the sand here, the foolish one. The image again is vivid and clear. Sandy, unstable. He will equally be tested throughout life by the storms of life, verse 27 says. The tests again are certain. Their house falls through the storms of life. Their disobedience is the weak foundation for the coming storms. Great is his fall. Notice in 28 and 29, the wise man acknowledges that Jesus has all the authority. Not themselves. They become wise because they recognize the authority of Jesus. The words of Jesus will astonish people by the teaching and effectiveness of the Holy Spirit. Verse 28. As he moves in their life. Jesus commands. We obey. 
not the reverse. The words of Jesus are authoritative. Notice in verse 29. Not like other men. He is the ultimate authority. Even as one day the disciples were astonished as they were with him and they're out there in the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, because the way is surrounded by the mountains, wind comes in and it can have waves there in five minutes, five to seven feet high. It's a lake, not a sea. And these guys are professional fishermen. They were all freaked out. And Jesus said to the wind, be muzzled. (laughs) And it says the sea became calm. Now, like Jonah, when there's a storm, the last thing to be calm is the water. It takes time. He muzzles the wind. And these fishermen who knew that lake, they said, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the very same power that's available to save you and to transform your life. If you believe he's the ultimate authority over your life. It has nothing to do with your intellectual IQ. <laughs> it has everything to do with your openness of heart. To agree with God that you're a sinner. And that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. And that he offers you heaven. But you have all the right to go to hell. It's your choosing. If you've ever read Proverbs, the first nine chapters of Proverbs personifies wisdom as wisdom and running, trying to speak to the young foolish man, the simple. But he pays no attention to wisdom. Then wisdom finally says, one day you will call upon me and I will not answer. I will laugh at you. Your own calamity will come upon you. The wise man or wise woman is clearly contrasted to the fool throughout the Proverbs. The wise person, the one who hears and submits their life to God. The foolish one who goes against God and even provokes God. The storms of life are many. And no one has any inclination of what will happen in the future. God is sufficient for your life if you hand it over to him. But if you reject them, then you have to live life out on your own and figure it out. You've got one of two choices. No one is sufficient for life apart from Christ. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So the examination, whether you have entered the kingdom by the narrow gate or traveling on the confined way, will be throughout life, not just for salvation. There's point A and point B, the gate. How long that journey is, all of us are different. We all have a death date. You're going to die right on time. (laughs) But you got to be on the narrow way, lined up with that narrow gate. But it begins with the choice For repentance. Do you believe the words of Jesus? Or do you believe that you can get into heaven by the good deeds you do? Or that you're the exception? There's no exception. 
all fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Jesus offers you the narrow way. The narrow gate. You have all the right to continue on the Broadway. If you don't know Jesus Christ tonight, you are on the Broadway. You might be having a good time. You might think you have no need of Christ. But he's here to show you your need of him. If your heart is open. He asks that you repent of your sins. Agreeing with him that he's God. He's holy. You're a sinner. He died in your place to forgive you and to save you. But he won't do it apart from your will. So he gives you the offer tonight. You want heaven or you want hell? You agree with God or do you think he's wrong? That decision will determine where you spend eternity. And it's all based on who Jesus is. The Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and love. Lord, I just lift everybody here and I pray that you you speak to those who don't know you. That Lord, you would make yourself known and they see their need of you. And you would just bring them to the end of themselves. They might call upon your name and be saved, Lord. Agreeing with their sinfulness and your perfect love for them as your sacrifice your son, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God would knock on the door of your heart. If you open that door, I'll come in and sup with you, you, him with you, and you with him. The closest thing you could do in that day was to invite somebody to eat with you. You brought them into your home. You ate of the same food, but nourished them, nourished you. You were bound to protect them at the cost of your life, if need be. Jesus asked you to come in and fellowship with him. And by the way, he has died for you. If you see yourself in need of Christ, and you want to be born again. Then you can confess to him what he already knows about you. And he will forgive you and make you a child of God. It's called repentance. As you see yourself separated by God because of sin. And you agree with him and you ask him to forgive you. This is your prayer to him, not to us. If you want to be born again, you can repeat this right where you sit. And he will save you right where you sit. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.